Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing the way of salvation through faith in your Son. We ask you now to teach and encourage us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, reading from Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose way of life is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honours those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we could see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly every day. Amen. Amen. Oh, well, Jonathan Ogden in that clip, uh, he's a singer, songwriter and graphic guy. Did you see how he cut himself in as the band and everything as well as the guy worship leading? Um, he, you know, there's a little title on this, When the Worship Leader Goes a Bit Too Far. <laughs> so even in my darkest moments, when I was in all the wrong places and they're all nodding, with all the wrong people, when I didn't say thank you at the drive-in, when I stole the, the DVD of Shrek 2, when I committed tax fraud and my brother went to prison even though it was me, when I pushed the old lady down the hill for no reason and I told my friend his dog went missing but I ran it over, you still love me, Lord, you still love me, Lord, you still love me, Lord. All right. So ethics in leadership is a complex, complex topic, right? The Psalms seem to set the bar so high. And then our friend, um, it's, it's obviously not his real thoughts because it's you know, whatever, but Jonathan Ogden sets the bar really low, right? And it's hard, isn't it? Like, we want to be a leader, but some of us are terrified, like, who am I? And then others of us are like, well, lucky you, here I am. <laughs> so whatever. And we see this in politics as well. I, you know, there's politics stuff, but I'm, I'm really talking about church leadership today. We can focus a lot on charisma, on call, on competence. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to become competent here, don't we? But we also have to focus on character. I'm not telling you something you don't know. I'm trying to, you know, bring into our minds this really important factor, which is what's in the psalm. That's particularly why I'm bringing it out. And Psalm 15 offers us a bit of a model, a template, to think about character in leadership. And I'm going to just go through it. The first couple of verses are like a general introduction. And then verse 3 is about relationship to friends, neighbours and family. Verse 4, I'm going to think about role models, who we respect, who we take 
into our hearts as people that we honour and that we offer down. Perhaps if we're a youth leader, we say, oh, look at this person or, you know, whatever. And then um, verse 5 is about how we relate to the poor and um, people who are innocent but perhaps um, being treated badly in the community. So Psalm 15, a psalm of David. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Brings a question um, to be considered. This is like the title. What, who, who can hang out with you? Who, who is okay to come to the holy mountain? So that's really talking about either the temple or the tabernacle. We could think about who can come to church. I don't think that's what it's talking about. But, you know, who, who can be someone who is your partner in your work? So it's focusing on our relationship with God, not just on our competence or those things. And I just thank um, whoever chose the song, like Why Preach, when somebody picks such a fantastic song that's covered everything you want to say. Um, That was so good. Um, So that's like the frame is our relationship with God. Then verse 2, the one whose walk is blameless, I'm going to come back to that, um, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth, It says from their heart, probably in their heart is better. It's really talking about being truthful in the heart. So I can speak truth from my heart. I could have a horrible heart. You know, Jesus talks about that. You know, the irk comes out of the heart and out of the mouth and into the life. It's not talking about being like consistent. It's talking about having truth in your heart. So your actions are righteous and what's in your heart is truthful. So that kind of connection between the the head and the heart and the deeds. Um, the word, this walk, the one whose walk is blameless, um, it's easy to get when we think about the sacrificial animals who had to be without spot and stuff, that this word blameless is applied to them. Um, but in Deuteronomy and Joshua, it's applied to people who are wholeheartedly following God. So it's not talking sinless perfectionism, it's talking total commitment. And when we see the people to whom this word is applied in the Old Testament, we think, Oh, good, because it's Abraham and he did some dodgy stuff. Uh, Noah, you know, he was chosen to be blameless, but, you know, he did some stuff. And David also, this word's applied to him and, you know, we know that he didn't always do the right thing. Uh, Calvin talks about this psalm and he talks about Abraham and he says he was adopted freely. Like Abraham didn't do anything for God to choose him, but he's called upon to walk before me and be blameless. So there's this requirement of a holy and upright life that is part of the call. And he says this isn't just for Abraham, this is for everyone. It's a general rule. We get the grace, but we also walk the walk. And I think that's quite helpful. So the one whose walk is blameless, don't be terrified, doesn't mean you can't ever do anything wrong, but our heart is wholeheartedly turned to God in in this matter. And we repent, you know, if we've done something wrong and we pick ourselves up or Jesus picks us up and off we go again. Verse 3, this is the one that I think relates to friends, neighbours and family. It uses um, the language a neighbour and another, in the last verse it says, and cast no slur on others in the last line. That word others is the word of, which is like the, the near, the things that are near, so family as well as friends and neighbours. So firstly, verse 3, whose tongue utters no slander. Now slander isn't just saying something bad about someone, it's saying something bad that is not true. 
okay? So you might have to say something bad to or about somebody if they're doing something wrong, okay? It's not saying you can't speak up if there's domestic violence or, you know, somebody's stealing money or something like that, but you shouldn't be spreading untruths about the people near and dear. The people who don't do wrong to a neighbour, so again, it's the mouth and the actions. We're not doing wrong as well as not speaking wrong. And cast no slur on others, so this is this sort of family nearby word, it seems to be more like not the same as the slander, but you hear something and then you pass it on. So, you know, the tweet comes to you, you don't retweet. The gossip comes to you, you don't repeat. Um, and it's particularly focusing here on the near and dear, the family, the neighbours and so on, but, of course, that is generally a good policy. Verse 4. This is the one that I think takes us into the realm of the role model. Now, we're good with who honours those who fear the Lord. I think we're all pretty comfortable with that, and I will talk about that slightly. But the one that probably is like is, you know, we're finding it a bit sort of what am I going to do with this is who despises a vile person, right? Because we most, I mean, we probably do all despise people. I despise people, but, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to see in Scripture you should be despising people. No, no, you know, that's not right. Uh, you know, we love people who are whatever. So let me just unpack that one a little bit. Okay, so the word translated vile person is someone who rejects. So um, there's a few Scriptures that kind of help us with this. The words used in Jeremiah 6 where it talks about um, God is refining Israel and some people will not be refined. You know, like the dross is supposed to rise to the top and you get rid of it and then you're pure. And they're like, no, 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 we love our dross. So they're people who are rejecting refining. And then in another place it's used in Leviticus um, and translated despised people, despise God's judgment. And when they don't like the manna, they say, oh, yuck. And they use this word, you know, down with manna. Where's our meat? So, again, it's kind of, you know, vile person, someone who's saying no to God and, like, no, 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 I, I like doing wrong things. You know, I'm, I'm into, into bad. And um, so despising is more like don't hold them up as a role model, someone who is, like, choosing the wrong way. They're not the person to present to your youth group. It's like, look at this person. They're powerful. They're awful, but they're so, you know, effective, like, that's not what's being suggested here. Um, but we honour those who fear the Lord. And I, I've been reading um, Victor Hugo. I, I've got it on my Kindle and I haven't been sleeping very well, partly because I've had COVID, but for other reasons. And I've read all of uh, Victor Hugo's novels. Um, Les Mis is supposed to be the longest novel uh, in the world. It may not be now. Somebody's probably, you know, written a longer one just to prove him wrong, but it's very long. Anyway, I've read very long novels <laughs> in the night on my Kindle. And um, these present some models of leadership. So in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which you might have seen the movie if you haven't read the book, it's not so long, but it's still very long, um, it presents this guy, Archdeacon Frollo, and at the beginning, he's like so righteous and everybody respects him and he's like, you know, never does anything wrong and he's so upright and wow. But as the book goes on, he gets this sort of attraction to a woman that develops into like a, a horrible passion and he tries to assault her and eventually organises that she gets killed. Like it, it doesn't go well. Um, and so that's one presentation of someone in leadership, um, probably not the role model that we're looking for. You know, it looks great on the outside, but the heart is rotten or goes rotten. 
Another um, character that we're probably all familiar with in Les Mis is, um, he's got a long name in French, but I'm just going to call him the bishop. Um, and he is that guy at the beginning, Jean Valjean, um, is an escaped convict. He runs to his house. He sleeps over. He finds out where the money is. He steals it all. He runs away. He gets caught by the police. He comes back and the bishop says, oh, you forgot to take the candlesticks, you know, that I gave you all these things and you forgot to take the candlesticks. So this is just so beautiful. And as you know from everything that you know, this like completely transforms Jean Valjean's life. But what you don't go if you haven't read the book is there are 10 chapters about this bishop. This is the beginning of the book. You're like, flick, flick, flick. Um, th- th- he is, he's so good. You know, everything he does is good. He loves the chickens. He loves the little children. He, you know, gives things to people. Like, it just builds up his character so that when he does this Jean Valjean thing, this is just so typical. His, his heart and his deeds are just so integrated and they're not, like, Frollo, um, he's disintegrated, you know, his heart is rotten and he looks all right, but he eventually does so many awful things. But the bishop's heart and actions are so integrated. So that's the model of someone that we're looking for. The last bit of that, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change his mind. So probably in the picture here, and we get a little bit political here, um, we're thinking of someone who's like a, perhaps a little bit of a minor king and an overlord comes and like takes over and they have to make promises. Yeah, yeah, you know, we'll do this, we'll send you this much tribute and so on. And then things kind of change a bit and they think, ha-ha, we'll cast off the yoke and we're not sending that guy any more tribute, which is breaking a promise, right? Where sometimes when we're reading the Bible we don't understand that. We think, oh, good, they've broken free of evil Assyria, but actually they've broken a promise and if you read more carefully, um, God is not pleased with that. So, um, and we can all think of election promises. It's coming. They may cast me out. I'll promise this and I'll promise that. Ha ha, I'm in power. Now I'm not going to do it. So that's perhaps the background to keeping an oath even when it hurts and not changing your mind. So we've had a look at the friends, neighbours, the family and role models. The last um, verse, verse 5, takes us to the poor and just people who perhaps could be hurt by our choices, um, the innocent. So verse 5, who lends money to the poor without interest. Now, we're kind of conscious, you know, perhaps many of us even have stocks and shares. It's not talking about that, though it is perhaps worth reflecting on ethical investment, is how you're making your money just deforesting, de- whatever that thing is to the rainforests or, you know, chocolate poisoning little children in another country, something like that. So we do need to think even about what feel like ethical investments. But it's also just talking about any use of money that drives the poor further into debt, into, further into poverty. And this could also impact our election, though I didn't mean to talk about that, but I've got all excited about that now. So, you know, how we spend our money, and it's not just talking about in the church, but also how our church gives their money, you know, that we're lifting the poor up, not crushing them even further down who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Now, probably few of us have taken bribes. I don't want you to put your hand up. Um, I don't think I've ever taken a financial bribe myself um, where somebody says, you know, take this $100 and vote this way in a meeting. I don't think I've done that. But I have felt under pressure to vote with a certain power block or to um, keep my head down in a meeting where the boss is saying blah, 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 and you think, oh, I don't think so. But you're like, oh, you know, I might not get that promotion or he might actually throw me out or everybody will hate me or something like that. So 
you know, taking a bribe against the innocent is not just taking money, but benefiting in some way that you kind of throw the, the needs or the concerns of an innocent person to some one side. So somebody comes and perhaps, you know, brings an accusation about a leader and, oh, we won't bother about that. We're, we're not going to talk about that. that. That would rock the boat. Um, we just need to be considering how our financial and other kind of decisions are impacting those who are monetarily poor and those who may be innocent but without power in the particular situation. So we've talked about the friends, the neighbour and the family. We've talked about who are our role models and who are we promoting to others as role models. And there's a lot I could say about that, but I could see when you were laughing at the beginning, you've got plenty of thoughts in your minds. Um, and then again, the poor and the needy. And the summary is whoever does these things will never be shaken. It takes us back to the top. Who can dwell? Who can live on the holy mountain? It's not who could go for a little visit, a little pilgrimage to the holy hill. It's who can stay there. Who can stay there? And the first word dwell is yagur, which is about being a resident alien. It's not like I've got a right to be on the holy hill. It's like I've been accepted in and adopted um, to be allowed to be there. Well, you could still be feeling pretty daunted, I feel pretty daunted by this psalm. And I want to bring you um, Val's stages of ethical improvement. This is someone who was in a parish with us a few years ago, a long, long time ago, like decades ago, and she had this model which I've lived with ever since. Right, step one, realise after you've done something bad that you did it, right? So this is the video. You know, when I did this, when I did that, oh, thank you, Lord. So at least he's coming to Jesus <laughs> and he's, listen, he knows what he did. Like there are people who've got no idea. You say, do you know you did that? Like, oh, no, you know. It wasn't me, you know, someone else. So first step, know that you did something, bring it to God. That's good. That's a, that's, that's a step. Like we're all laughing, but it, it's better than like, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm not sin, sinlessly perfect. Step two, when you're doing something bad, you pick it up, right? So not just afterwards, but at the time, like I'm slandering, I'm slandering right now, uh, but you keep going, all right? <laughs> you just keep slandering, but you did get the thing. And then the next step is, before you slander or whatever it is, you pick it up, but you keep doing it. But you've moved from only noticing afterwards to noticing at the time to noticing beforehand. So that's all improvement. We can all think, oh, at least I noticed beforehand. I didn't know anything about it, but at least I noticed. Next two steps are really good. Next one is that you notice while you're doing something that you are doing it and you're like, look, I'm so sorry. I, I don't think we should be going down this track. We've really got to listen to so-and-so or... I don't think we should be saying that here or I'm sorry I've told you a lie or whatever it is. So we take action in the moment. And then the next, this is the glorious step we all dream about but, you know, we're still going there, is before we do the thing. We're in the meeting, we can see how it's going, we're thinking they're going to go there, we think I can't do it. Lord, help us to not go there. So often we want to just be there at the beginning. Never do a sin, right? But Val's steps help us to think, well, at least I picked it up while I was doing it. Well, at least, you know, I stopped, you know, halfway through and then gradually to kind of eliminate some of those bad behaviours. Just judging on my time, I'm going to do it anyway. All right, I've just got this little story about myself which I'm going to put in here and bad luck if we run into morning tea, that's evil, isn't it? Right. Okay, so I repent but I'm not going to stop. <laughs> So um, when, we, when we were living in Hong Kong, this is a long time ago now as well, 
we used to go on these holidays up to like mountains and you had to go up through the cloud level. It was always, you know, like raining. And so you get really soaked wet or your shoes would go mouldy. But up at the top, it was all sunny and lovely. And we used to live in these little cabins that were stone cabins um, that were built for missionaries in, during the wars and stuff. And they actually ran away there during the, the Japanese occupation and they lived up there and no one knew what they were there. There's no electricity, there's no water. You know, it's just very wild. Anyway, you live in your little mountain hut and you go down the valley and up to the next person. But if the cloud comes over, you can't see anything. So one day I went from my little hut down up to the other person's hut. When I came out, total blank. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I had to get back down the mountain and up the mountain. There were cows who were somebody's herd but still not good to meet in the cloud. And you could fall down a precipice. Like, it was pretty scary. And those words from the other psalm from 119 came to me, I hate every wrong path. I thought, oh, this is what it is when you just don't mind doing a few bad things, you know, to love the true path and to know how to go on it. But when you're like, you don't know where to go, that can be really scary. So that that really deepened my desire to really know um, how to walk the true path. So I'll stop here due to time. We get this encouragement from the psalm to walk the true path, to walk before God and be blameless not sinless perfectionism, remember Val's rules, to keep moving forward. But whoever does these things will never be shaken. Amen. Amen.